Nearly a decade ago, I found myself filling the hours by listening to podcasts while my husband, Brooks, was training with the U.S. Army. Walking the streets of our Army post, I dreamt of creating something for women that bridged that gap between sermon audio and small talk. It was on the floor of my tiny closet on post that that very dream, the Dream for the Journey Women podcast, came to fruition in June of 2017. And today, by God's grace, Journey Women is now a not-for-profit ministry with the aim of moving women to know and love God more. Our monthly and one-time givers help make our mission possible. If you'd like to support the work that we do, you can make a tax-deductible donation by visiting journeywomen.org forward slash give. Thank you for investing in the work of Journey Women. Welcome to the Journey Women podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Belis. Life's a journey we were never meant to walk alone. We all need friends along the way. On the Journey Women podcast, we'll chat with mentors about gracefully navigating the seasons and challenges we face on our journeys to glorify God. Today, we are continuing our series, Theology in Practice, Knowing God Changes Who We Are and How We Engage with the World. On today's episode, I chatted with Rosaria Butterfield about hospitality, particularly in times of crisis. Let me tell you, there is no one that you'd rather hear from on this topic as we're all seeking to love our neighbors while navigating the challenging realities that come with a global pandemic like COVID-19. This conversation will challenge you, offer really creative ideas for how to love your neighbor in the midst of a crisis, and exhort you to really know and love God and to know and love the people that he has placed around you too. Rosaria Butterfield, welcome to the Journey Women podcast. Thank you, Hunter. It's a joy to be with you today. Oh my goodness. We were just chatting a little bit before we started recording and you were talking about your neighborhood and your house. And I'm thinking, I've read your books and I have this visual actually in my brain about what your house looks like. And I have no idea actually, but uh, (laughs) it's really cool just to read about really God's transforming work in your life. We're going to talk about that all through the conversation today as we talk about hospitality, something that's near and dear to your heart, and actually the way that the Lord drew you to himself even. So can you tell us just a little bit about who you are if our listeners aren't familiar with your books and your writing and your speaking, all of those things? Sure, sure. Well, all of those things aren't really the first things that come to mind when I think when someone says, tell me about yourself. So that's great. Well, I'm I'm a pastor's wife in Durham, North Carolina. We have had the amazing privilege of adopting four children. Two of our children came to us at the age of 17 out of foster care. We did it twice, and you have never seen me on the Dr. Phil show, which means it actually works out. You know, God, God, <laughs> yes. God's covenant is a, you know, it, it, it embraces people from all walks of life. Um, and I homeschool my children, and I have been saved by God's amazing grace. Amen. I have wanted to have you on the show for a long time, but like you said, your day-to-day life is really full. You kind of laid out your daily schedule in um, your book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, and I was so challenged by it. So it's just a grace to get time with you and to be welcomed into your home through the microphone uh, today. So I was really challenged by the concept of radically ordinary hospitality, which I've started using that phrase in my life. Could you flesh this idea out just a little bit for those who haven't had the opportunity to read your book yet? Absolutely. Absolutely. In a world like ours, that is more of a post-Christian world than a Christian-centered world, the gospel falls on ears as a threat 
and a danger and an obscurity and a problem. And so what, what radically ordinary hospitality is, is doing what you would normally do as a Christian, as a person saved by God's amazing grace and opening your arms a little bit wider. It means looking at our homes, not as our castles, but as God's embassy. And it means knowing that God never gets the address wrong. So he has given you neighbors and you are the bridge to the Lord for those neighbors. And what Radically Ordinary Hospitality seeks to do is very much work behind the scenes to meet strangers and welcome them as neighbors. And then if the Lord wills, watch those neighbors become part of the family of God. And you guys have had the opportunity to do that right where you're living, but really... Yeah. It stems from like your own experience. So I would love to just hear a little bit about how your life was impacted by that type of hospitality and then how it impacts you today as someone who is also extending that to other people. Right, right, right. Well, and I think it is so true that the manner in which, you know, the road that the Lord used to find you is always a precious thing. So mine is no more precious than yours and everyone else's, but it will always be a touchstone for me. At a certain point in my life, I was a professor uh, of English and women's studies at Syracuse University. This was in the 90s. And I was in a uh, committed monogamous lesbian relationship. And I had been in serially monogamous uh, lesbian relationships for about a decade. And after my tenure book was written and secured, I decided I wanted to write a book on something that was really dear to my heart. And it was specifically why people like you hated people like me. Um, Uh That's all there was to it. And so, um, you know, a series of of things, I would have called them serendipitous back then, but now I would call them providential. Uh Things happened, like the promise keepers coming to town and me writing an article. and But various things happened so that my neighbors, Ken and Floyd Smith, Ken was at that point a pastor of the Syracuse Reformed Presbyterian Church, and Floyd was his wife. They became my friends, and they welcomed me into their home. And the only reason I accepted was because I thought this was my new unpaid research assistant for the book. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I wasn't interested in being evangelized. I was actually interested in evangelizing them. Yeah. But they were fearless and loving, and they modeled all that I do today, probably to a much, much more faithful extent, really. And, you know, one meal turned to two and two meals turned to three. And I started reading the Bible to try to understand it from a Christian point of view. And I would meet with Ken and Floyd regularly. And and after years and years of this, and probably, I don't know, hundreds of meals later. Wow you know, something happened. And that was that the word of God just got to be bigger inside me than I, and it overflowed into my life. And I had to confront it. And when that happened, you know, Ken and Floyd were there. And this whole time, I was never made to feel like I was a research project or an evangelism project. You know, Ken and Floyd never, I don't know, blogged about me or tweeted about me or or even talked about me in a way that I wouldn't recognize today. Hmm. They were respectful of me, and they were very loving to me. And when I came to Christ, I came to Christ in their living room, and, you know, they never let go of me. 
Um, you know, they still, I mean, Floyd has gone on to be with the Lord, but I'm scheduled to talk on the phone with Ken Smith at three o'clock after you and I, you know, get off this, this conversation because he's precious. He's never stopped being my father in the Lord, even now in his nineties. That's absolutely amazing. I would love to hear what those conversations looked like because like when I think about having someone who is a professor to my house, particularly one who is, you know, writing really important articles and books and things like that, like it's terrifying for me to think about having uh, real conversations about Christianity and things like that, just because I'm nervous that I'm not going to be able to defend my faith to the degree that I desire in that moment. So like, what did those conversations look like for you? How did they unfold? What do you think Ken and Floyd did well? Um, and how do you prepare for those types of conversations as you're doing the same in your own home even now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, Ken and Floyd were not intimidated by me because they knew that I was a young woman who needed Christ. And regardless of what my pedigree was or what my uh-huh. job was or how frantically you know, I strived for excellence. I was a sinner in need of God's grace. And one of the things that Ken and Floyd did so well, and it's one of the things that, that Kent, my husband's name is Kent with a T. So one of the How things- perfect. I know, exactly. <laughs> with name deficit disorder, it really helps, right? <laughs> keep, it all, keep it all kind of in the family. Um, but, but one of the things that they did very well, and one of the things that they very much discipled, um, discipled us to do very well is to remember that you are welcoming people into a Christian home and they're not going to hear the gospel by osmosis. And so um, we would just do regularly scheduled things at Ken's house. We would have a meal. um, We would sing a psalm. We would pray. He would uh, have what's called, you know, family devotions. We'd open a chapter of the Bible. He'd read it. We would talk about it. It wouldn't just be me. There'd be other people there. Um, he never treated the Bible like it belonged in a museum under glass. You know, y- you could have your coffee and have your arguments and work it out. And likewise, you know, Kent and I have tried to at a certain point in the conversation, and sometimes it really does feel like you're throwing yourself in front of a moving train. But uh-huh. after you do it the first 10 awkward times, you get used to it. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of exciting. Awkward is not going to kill you. Yeah. You know, awkward hospitality is a great thing. You know, at a certain point in the conversation, you just, you know, and especially if your kids are old enough, they're they're super helpful and, and on board, not just old enough, but your children are on board with this at a certain point. You know, they collect the dishes and all of a sudden the Bibles and the Psalters and the coffee mugs come you know, down and your unsuspecting neighbors are saying, uh, Kent, what, <laughs> what's this? Some little ritual we do here, you know? And then what does he say? Do you, is this just like, this is what we do and we just want to welcome you into what we do? Pretty much. We just say, well, you know, this is a Christian home and, and we've, we've talked about hard and heavy things tonight and we are not trying to end the conversation or trying to deepen it. I'm going to simply, this is called family devotions and you're at my table and you're you're part of my family at this moment, you know, we're, we're, we're gathering together as neighbors and I'm going to read a, a, a small passage of scripture and then we're going to talk about it and then we're going to pray about it. Uh-huh. We just totally lifted this from Ken and Floyd. Like there's nothing creative about the Butterfields. We are so not creative. And then your neighbors, your unsaved neighbors have two really good questions that every covenant child has always wanted to ask, but maybe hasn't because of the sense that they shouldn't. So they're one questions. Number one is, how long will this take? Okay. 
how long will it take? Am I trapped? Am I stuck at your table for the next two hours? Or, you know, <laughs> I, I've got things to do and they're yes. more interesting than this, right? And number two is if we're praying, do I have to pray out loud? Yeah. I mean, what good questions. And so it just really honors our neighbors and mm. says, well, it, it'll, it depends on how many questions you ask me, but it usually takes about 20 minutes. <laughs> and, and he'll say, you know, feel free to come and go as you want. You're not trapped here. This is yeah. just my, t- this is my family. This is what we do. I love it. So we, we don't even feel awkward about it anymore. We've just become so tone deaf to this and also so, so sensitized to the fact that we live in a world filled with existential dread for which Jesus is the answer and people need to be helped to frame the questions. And that's what it does. Yeah. People get used to it. Life is crazy sometimes, and finding time to sit down and read the Bible can be difficult. That is why I love Dwell. When I can't find time to read the Bible, I can listen to it. The voices reading the Bible are soothing. They're not your normal narrators. Plus, you can choose calming background music and adjust the pace of the narrator's voice to get things just right. Dwell's newest release is called Dwell Daily, a fresh, thoughtfully crafted devotional that immerses you in the Word, allowing you to pray it, meditate on it, and so much more. If you're looking to deepen your engagement with the Bible this year, Dwell Daily is worth checking out. I cannot recommend Dwell enough to help you orient your mind to the life-giving Word of God throughout your day. Go to dwellbible.com forward slash journeywomen to receive your 25% discount today. Again, that's dwellbible.com forward slash journeywomen for your 25% discount to subscribe and spend time in God's Word. I wonder if this would be a good time for us to talk about the difference between acceptance and approval. Yeah. How do we accept people and respect people who think differently than we do? Like, how did you feel that sense of acceptance from Ken and Floyd as you're sitting at their table? I imagine that's part of what drew you yes. drew you back. Apart, right. I mean, obviously the spirit drew you back, but uh, also like the the genuine love that you felt from them. Right, 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 right. Well. First of all, I knew I was accepted because I was at the table. Hmm. Tables are very intimate places. Tables so true. Tables are in your homes. Tables are places of intimacy and care. In the most obvious way, I knew they accepted me because they welcomed me in. And I also knew they accepted me because they didn't treat me like a blank slate. They didn't just rebuke me in my sin. They listened to how I had processed my life. They listened well enough and they found the gospel bridge to my heart. No, there's no question that repentance is, it is the threshold to a holy God. You can't bypass repentance to get to grace, but it's, it's also true that people do need to understand what a fear of God means And that means that they actually need to be close enough to people who do fear God. Hmm. And so they modeled, they demonstrated, and they welcomed me. They didn't treat me like I was polluting them. And at the same time, they made it very clear as the sky is blue that that they did not approve of me. And I will tell you that this was before the Obergefell decision. And 
you know, and I'm a gritty, scrappy kind of gal, right? So I don't personally need the whole world to approve of me. And I didn't feel, you know, that, that was some kind of spiritual abuse. I thought that this was an intelligent person speaking to me about our differences of worldview. And I just respected that. And now today, of course, with the Obergefell decision, uh-huh. and especially the dignitary harm clause, the idea that you you would accept someone without approving them is considered just, you know, anathema. And I, I had a, a very dear friend call me up a few years ago, I guess more than a few years ago now, maybe about seven years ago now. And and she said, Rosaria, we can no longer be friends because you don't approve of me. I'm a lesbian. I'm getting married and you don't approve of me. I was kind of taken aback by what she was saying, because the truth is I had never approved of her and she had never approved of me. So I said, Ruth, did somebody drop you on your head? I've never approved of you, uh-huh. never approved of me, but we've always liked each other and loved each other and taken care of each other. So what, you know, what kind of Kool-Aid are you drinking? You never approved of me. And she laughed out loud. She said, you're absolutely right. You know, spankings, you know, chicken nuggets, Pixar films, you know, I never approved of you. I said, right, exactly. So why are you changing the rules on me? Yeah. And she said, huh, I don't know. <laughs> I said, well, we just go back to where we were. We don't approve of each other and we love each other. Right? Yes. See, that's grown-ups talk to each other. But yes. we are, we are just in a world that has been infantilized by the idea that your feelings are your god. Right. Yes, and that your truth is your truth. You can't impose, you know, that on anybody else. Um I right. mean, I'm living in it for sure here in New England. Oh, yes. Honestly, Rosaria, like I welcome in my literal neighbors. Like I think that's a really easy segue because no matter how different they are, we have like this common shared experience of living together in proximity. And there's something really unique about that. Um, But when I think about people with whom I have more exaggerated differences, like what you're describing in in this relationship with your friend, like it, it is intimidating to me to think about not necessarily to have them over for dinner, but to like do something like have a devotional while they're over. So I think that the sin is that I'm afraid that, you know, I don't want to disrupt whatever harmony we have in our relationship. And so I think it's a lot more about me and my comfort. Yeah. But what else might it be? You know, would, would you just help us kind of like uncover what that could be for us if we're not walking forward in that in our life? Well, one is we might not be practicing family devotions at home as we ought to. Yeah. You know, so the first thing is there's no way, there's no way to truly love your neighbors in Christ if you have what Martin Luther calls a milk faith. Mm. You know, if you're just kind of coasting on a verse a day, you know, if you just read your Bible the way heathens read their horoscopes, forget it. Uh-huh. Just it's game over. You can't do it. Get out of the way. You're not helpful. You know, you, it's not going to work. So the first thing that I think we all need to do is 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 strive for a meat faith, not a milk faith to be so, I don't know, so fluent in our in our practices of a meat faith that we don't push against them. You know, we value family devotions at the dinner table. We value lingering long over the word in the morning. We value long seasons of prayer where we don't get up off our knees until we have pulled down the power of heaven to bear on the problem at hand. 
we repent of our sin. We um, love our enemies genuinely. And we don't make excuses. You know, the first sin in the garden, right? The first question that, that, that Satan asked was, did God really say? And, you know, we... You know, we ask that all the time. Well, God said that to you, that you're supposed to love your enemies, but surely he didn't say that to me. You haven't, have you met my enemies? My word, you know, no one would love it, that kind of thing. So, you know, the first thing we need to do is take ourselves by the scruff of the neck, give ourselves a good shake and say, Jesus is on to you, girl. You're not faking it. Uh You know what I mean? So that, so, and the other is to have a, a greater fear of God than a fear of man. And that again is something that you need to cultivate. It doesn't just drop from the sky. And the other is to really not be so impressed by the idols of this land. You know, what is there to be impressed by your neighbors? They have a PhD. So what? You can go to hell faster with a PhD than without one. I'm living proof of that. You know, so don't be impressed by idolatry. We're not called to be impressed by idolatry. We're we're called to actually kill it. Uh Uh-huh. So to really work hard to get not only your Christian worldview, but your Christian practice on. And finally, to really pray that your neighbors would trust you with their big problems. Uh All the ways that people look cleaned up, they only look all happy and cleaned up because you just don't know them well. Uh It's so true. There's no time to just be coddling our own sin here on this one. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I am thinking about Deuteronomy 6 as you're just describing this, like, you know, culture, really the culture of a Christian in their own home. Um, when we're just like, it's there. Uh, for those yeah. who don't know the scripture, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, might, and the words that I commanded you shall be on your heart. You shall teach them to your children. Talk about them when you sit, when you rise, when you're on the way, like all the time, the front lights yeah. between your eyes, like it's just always right. kind of right. there. Um, and maybe this is like not thinking rightly about our, our own selves and our depravity. Cause I, I like yearn to do that more and more myself. I also know there are a lot of listeners who have written in and they've said they really desire for this to be like the culture of their family, but maybe their spouse doesn't share yeah. Yeah. the same yeah. like devotion to the Lord. And so I'm, I'm really curious, like what encouragement you have to a woman who really longs to see this happening, particularly around her table. Right. And she yearns for her spouse to lead their family in that, but it's just not happening. Right. Then you have a different mission field. Hmm. And so I think that's the other thing that you need to, you need to do what God has called you to do. Wives, we are called to submit to our husbands and to encourage their leadership we will not encourage their leadership by usurping it. So God will use your family for all of its limitations. And so I think part of it might just be that sometimes husbands might not know how to do this. They're like, look, I'm an engineer. I'm not a Bible scholar. And really a a good study Bible is the answer to the problem. You know, the best study Bible, in my opinion, is the Reformation Heritage Study Bible. It is KJV, which I realize people might not like that. But Joel Beakey's commentaries at the end of each chapter are called, they're called Family Worship Helps. Hmm. 
um, helps used in the old Puritan way, that this is meant to help you and your family worship. So even if you don't want to read from the KJV, you can purchase the family worship helps as a separate book. It's wonderful. You have, you have, uh, you know, Joel Beakey's commentary on literally every chapter of the Bible that is provocative and helpful. It's not over that. It's not even over the head of, of a child. It, it, it's such a powerful thing. It's very helpful. We use it and we've encouraged lots of people in that situation to use it. But wives, let your husband lead and, you know, pray for him, pray, pray with him, thank him for his leadership. Absolutely. That's such a good encouragement. And uh, even just thinking about meals, I know for some of us, we're in really busy seasons of life and that may not have been a priority um, just to share a meal around the table. So that's a great starting point. And oh, just get it together and, and not don't see that as preliminary. That's that's the real deal. Yeah. Could you talk a little bit about that um, just in relation to building in kind of limits in our life that will allow us to have the margin to have meals and have family devotionals and things like that. Because I think so often, you know, there's so many needs around us that sometimes we can spread ourselves really, really thin um, and not protect the time that would enable us to actually welcome others into our space, you know, to this degree. Right, right. Definitely, definitely. And so I think part of it really starts with, first of all, understanding that this idea of a radically ordinary, hospitable house is not actually necessarily something that every literal Christian house is doing, because there are actual seasons when it would just be horrific for you to do that, right? If you have an older relative, you know, with hospice in the living room, you're not doing this. That would be uh-huh. gross. You That's, that's wrong. That would be a, a wrong spirit. Um, and there are other examples, too, maybe less extreme than that. But You know, when you look at the book of Acts, the church knew where to gather and they knew where to gather organically and they knew how to bring other people into those organic gatherings too. that, you know, it wasn't the email listserv. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't hyper organized. It was organic. And so the first thing this is, is a church membership issue that as a church, you pray that the Lord would raise up those households Uh and then you as a church figure out what you can do to resource those households. You know, are the best households the ones in a city where um, maybe people who are impoverished are in greater need of basic necessities? Perhaps the people who live there are themselves in need of a hospitality budget. Uh Uh, You know, is the best resource the resource with the homeschool family with 10 kids because (laughs) we know kids are just a kid magnet for other kids? Well, Maybe they need a lot more, you know, soccer, you know, nets and dads. And it's going to be different. It, but we're in this as a body of Christ because we call people to Christ, but then we don't leave them hanging. They become part of the family of God. They become tied in to a church, maybe not your church, but a church. Mm-hmm. We see this as a community prayer effort. It doesn't just start because, you know, you read a book about hospitality and you've got you got kind of an itch for it. Though it is a really good book. Okay, well, thank you. But let let that itch itch you to prayer as a church body. How can we as a church body be a bridge to Christ? How can our homes be a bridge 
to Christ. And, you know, the best thing, at least the only and the only thing that we have ever seen in our hospitality, you know, life. And we've you know, we've been doing this for for decades now. And the best thing is tragedy. There's a tragedy. And immediately tragedy affects the world a little bit like light affects cockroaches. Everybody runs away. And so if in a tragedy, a Christian family with the help of their church family can roll up their sleeves and say, let's go love our neighbor in this horrible moment. And let's pray that our neighbor will receive the love of Christ. Let's get close. Instead of running away from this terrible thing, let's move in close. Let's have greater proximity to the crisis. And let's be ready to bring the word of God, the word of God and the hands of Christ. What does dinner time look like in your house? Is it a little chaotic and crazy like it is at mine? Let me tell you about Prep Dish and how they can help you simplify your evenings. You've probably heard us talk about Prep Dish in the past, and maybe you've thought, man, I just don't have time to meal prep. But let me tell you, with Prep Dish, meal prepping for the whole week honestly takes just about one hour with their super fast plan and about two hours for the gluten-free, paleo, and low-carb meal plans. If you need a change in how you handle dinner time at your house, you have got to try Prep Dish. You'll serve up delicious meals that your family will love, like green chili burgers, Caesar salmon wraps, and apricot glazed chicken thighs. Right now, the founder, Allison, is offering our listeners a free two-week trial to try it out. You can't beat that. Check out PrepDish.com forward slash journey for this great deal. Again, that's PrepDish.com forward slash journey for your first two weeks free. What do you think this looks like in the context of COVID-19 where we may want to move close, but we're social yeah, yeah. distancing and all of those things like, but, but this is a crisis like you're talking about. It is. It is. And it's so funny. I mean, I really literally just sent off an article that was commissioned by, by, you know, Crossway called hospitality under COVID-19. So, so, you know, so this is really, you know, it's very, very, very important, extremely important. You know, the, the first thing that that's, uh, you know, that I would do is say, please remember that the church has been um, ministering through plagues for 2000 years. Yeah. Okay. So this is not like, this is not not new territory for the church. Um, You know, and also please remember that viruses don't come with user manuals. Mm -hmm. So we're going to get information today and then tomorrow we're going to get some different information and the next day we're going to get different information and it will, it will require great discernment and great wisdom. So, um, you know, a, a week ago, actually literally exactly a week ago today, we had just gone into a, a new phase, right? We have a pandemic. It's on six of seven continents. And, you know, my, my first thought was, Lord, this, could we please see a revival? Mm-hmm. Yes. The whole world, you know, the idols are being destroyed, you know, sports, Disney, you name it. Please, Lord, 
what can we do? And, you know, as I was dutifully disinfecting my home for the second time that morning, <laughs> right, uh, <laughs> arming all of my children with Clorox wipes and designated surfaces for said learning how to wash my hands, you know, I'm 57 years old, you thought I knew how to wash my hands, but no, <laughs> no there's some new information out there for me. There was a knock on the door and it was two young women, strangers, who were like so many people last week and this week being displaced from their college being sent literally sent home yes and they were they stood at my door and they said look i know this is weird we're strangers but we just really want to know what does hospitality look like during a plague wow and, you know, I welcomed them in and my husband, Kent, you know, came to the door and, and he said, you know, we're not really sure yet. Are you feeling healthy? Would, would you like to join us for lunch? Would you like us to give you food and water for the rest of your journey? You know, that's what that's all he said. It was unrehearsed. You know, we hadn't sat down and said, oh, hey, we better have a, you know, a policy. Yeah, yeah, policy. No, we really hadn't. Um, and it seemed to me that in Kent's unrehearsed answer, he actually answered the question for us. So, you know, last week we took in um, displaced college students, not for long, but they were traveling through, right? Needing a meal, needing water, needing something. But we also took care of a number of displaced public school children. Oh, wow. Yes. Because all of a sudden they were out of school and their parents were not out of work. Right. Now, I know that we were supposed to be practicing social distancing, but here's what we thought last week. This was my, and this was last week. This is an urgent crisis. These are either Christian brothers and sisters leaving college, or these are children who don't have adequate care. We are keeping people separate. We are disinfecting. We are all getting to, you know, we're all getting tutored on how we wash our hands, but you know, we had read Luther's pamphlet called Whether One May Flee from a Deadly Plague. It's a hmm. wonderful pamphlet. No one in our home, in our immediate home, is immune, fragile, or elderly. And so that's the risk we took last week. Uh -huh. Okay, we took that risk. Now, this week is a different week. The college students are home, and these children are all cared for. And that's really good. But, you know, I don't think we would have wanted to do it any other way. And, and, you know, it was partly because we don't see COVID-19 as something that came out of the blue. Right. You know, John Calvin wrote something that was very instructive for our day. He said, God expects a very different kind of practical wisdom from Christians. Yes. Namely, that we should meditate on his judgments in a time of adversity and on his goodness in delivering us from danger. For surely it is not by mere chance that a person falls into the hands of enemies or robbers. Neither is it by chance that a person is rescued from them. But we must constantly keep in mind that all afflictions are God's rod. And therefore, there is no remedy for them other than God's grace. And so we have started practicing a different kind of social distancing. Would we let in someone who is in need? We probably would. Uh -huh. But 
you know, we aren't, there's no play dates. There's no meeting up with other kids at the park. But what we are doing is we are praying and we are fasting and we are organizing coverage in our neighborhood for households that are elderly or immune immune compromised. And so our household is caring for two other households. And what that means is that we are praying and fasting for these households. And we are also the ones going out to get provisions uh-huh. yes. so that they are not and no member of their household is going out. And uh, yesterday morning, I was at Costco at 845. Oh, bless. The doors open at 10. Mm. I was number nine. Wow. Uh, they were letting in 10 at a, at a time. They were rationing. I was covering three households. And that meant that we're all sharing. Mm-hmm. But what we've done in our neighborhood was, I think, fairly adequately organize a way to make sure that immune, fragile and elderly people are not leaving their home for provisions. It's very challenging right now. There are people who need uh, infusions. There are people who need medications that they're not able to get, you know, just for daily maintenance. So we're praying that as COVID-19 is rapidly spreading through every nation and every tongue, that our true and heartfelt repentance and love of neighbor will usher in an even more powerful revival. We're looking for a new great awakening. And, you know, we're, we're also recognizing that we need to obey the civil magistrate. Uh-huh. So the civil magistrate is asking us to flatten the curve and there are duties, you know, there, there are two things a Christian has to think about in these days. The duties that are inherent in the sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill, and the obedience to the civil magistrate, to the, you know, the civil government, if it's asking you to do things to preserve the sixth, you know, commandment. So we are definitely doing those things. And one of the things that has involved is caring for the the dogs of the neighbors who are in the medical profession. Wow. Yes. And I'm just going to tell you that some dogs are more challenging than others. <laughs> <laughs> when I'm hearing you speak, I'm thinking about your neighborhood and I'm, I'm thinking you had to know these people in order to know their need in such a time as this. And so you are What did it look like for you just to develop that foundational relationship with so many different people in your context? Right. This is not the time I've had so many people, you know, on interviews of late saying, how do I meet my neighbors? Well, this is not the time to walk across the street with a pie. (laughs) No, it's It's not. It's not, you know, it's not. Maybe some toilet paper, though. (laughs) Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Clorox wipes. That's That's what you provide these days. But no kidding. I mean, I think, first of all, you know, from the gospel comes with a house key. Our neighborhood did go through a major crisis, and that was a meth lab across the street. We live in Durham, where you know you know Durham. Mm-hmm. Um, so these things aren't, you know, it, what's what I love about Durham is your neighbors can be rough enough that you know where it hurts and how to help. And there are worse things than being in a neighborhood where you know where it hurts and how to help. So that experience really forced us to come together as a neighborhood. And Kent's theory, since we came together over lots of cookouts at our house, Kent's theory is if you're eating my hot dogs, you're hearing the gospel. It's real basic. 
I love it. I love it so much. It is. And so our neighbors know exactly where we stand. And when he, they, but they know exactly how the Lord advocates for the disempowered. And they've heard it. They've heard it, uh, you know, a hundred times. They've also, we organize prayer walks and prayer vigils for various things in the neighborhood. Yeah. We, I use the Nextdoor app like it's my personal evangelistic tool. I'm just learning about this because we're coming from a military context and now we're living on campus. So I haven't had an opportunity to utilize it yet, but it's like where you're talking to your neighbors through an app, correct? Yes, exactly. And and we do, we put things out like, I'm going to Costco, text me if you need anything, or I'll take a picture. Costco now has a board up that just tells you what they're rationing and what they have. If you're just driving by, snap a picture and put it on next door just to let people know. But, you know, to really let your neighbors know you are watching their back. You understand. I mean, if at any point somebody in our family gets sick, this behavior has to change. And mm-hmm. so can, can I have a protocol now for what what it means. But, you know, even clergy are allowed to visit people who are who have COVID-19. They have to be in a mask and a gown. But my wow. husband is ready to do that. You know, there is nothing more precious and there is no time that the gospel is sweeter than when people are facing death, whether they're facing it existentially or whether they're facing it in a very physical, real way, it is key. And, you know, the other thing that you can do with your neighbors is you could help them to feast on scripture more than CNN. Right. And you can do that whether they're Christians or not. You can just say to people, you know what, let me tell you what, you know, viruses don't come with user manuals. Some of us are are old enough to remember, you know, what it was like when uh, HIV was first presented to us in 1981 uh you just have to take a deep breath and you need better information than cnn Uh you know daniel defoe who who wrote robinson crusoe actually wrote a book much earlier it's a book called a journal of the plague year defoe is five years old when the last most aggressive bubonic plague devastated his world 1665 and you know what's what's really fascinating about this book it's a phenomenal book but what i love is the very first line he says quote we had no such thing as printed newspapers in those days to spread rumors and reports of things and to quote unquote improve them by the invention of men uh. now what he's doing is he is thanking god that he, in his world, was not faced with a 24-7 onslaught. Matthew 24-6 warns us against, and you will hear wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. Now, we don't get to think, we've got more than newspapers, but we need to be mindful that we need information about the virus, not rumors of wars right now. Right. We need to extend grace to one another because we are going to make different decisions around this. And that does not mean that we're not Christians. We need to give each other much grace. Right. And be willing to listen to the medical establishment as their story changes. Because they're learning. 
for sure. Yeah, like the practice of hospitality for each one of us will always look different, particularly in these times, but the principle's the same. Right. We welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us. And I am so thankful for the way that you have just done that in your life and then welcomed us, even at a distance, Rosaria, because I know you are so faithful and this is just an admonition to me. You know, when you have a public ministry uh, to protect really the people that the Lord has given you in your proximity um, and to prioritize loving your actual neighbor. Right. You know, I wanted to ask just what's one step that we can take as we go from this conversation and having heard from you today, just to do that and to put what we're learning into practice. Right, right, right. Well, the first thing I think you want to do is try to find one household that is compromised right now and frightened and see if you can be some earthly good. Mm -hmm. This isn't the social gospel. But this is what it means to just be foot on the floor in an emergency. Mm-hmm. So make sure older people aren't wandering out needlessly. Um, and really, the Nextdoor app is great for that. Y- you can easily, you know, you can't sell stuff and you can't politically, you know, stump stuff. <laughs> but you can always say, you know, and think about what it is that you do well. Like, for example, I've got teenagers who love to walk dogs. So, and, and, and by the way, this is no time to be charging people for any of this stuff. You know, you're right. practicing hospitality when you're losing money, not yes. making money. Yes. It's so true. Gotta have that budget line. Gotta lose it. Yeah. Yep. yeah. So just, you know, um, teenagers available to walk dogs, especially for people who are trying to stay inside or people in the medical community, you know, text me at this number. And obviously you might say, well, that's weird because they might think you're strangers, but if you've been in a neighborhood, you know, and we have really blessed to have been here long enough that nobody thinks that's weird when I put stuff like that up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> they think it's a little weird. You know? <laughs> um, so definitely, you know, pray that the Lord will give you somebody to help to share in word and deed the love of Christ. Just one person. If one, yes. if everybody takes one, we're going to do pretty yeah. well here. You know, and that's, it's just a, it's a joy to get to do that. We talk about it and like my daughters, you know, we've been creatively brainstorming. How can we do this with a five, yeah. a three and a one-year-old, you know, yeah. and yeah. Well, you have to be careful. We do have to be really careful, um, but we're doing a ton of crafting these days because we're indoors so much. Uh, yeah. And so I have a friend who um, she is. Uh, immune compromise. She is on hospice right now and she's really lonely because she lives in her house by herself. Um, And a lot of the regular visitors that she maintains are unable to come due to the virus. And so we just dropped off um, some egg crate, uh, non-perishable flowers made out of uh, popsicle sticks. And, you know, and then we left and it was a joy. And my point here is that I'd love to hear, uh, this is a question that we ask every guest that comes on the show, and I'm really excited to get to hear it from you, COVID or not, what are three of your simple joys? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, if I, I want to return one, just can I can return one thing and Please then do. I will answer that question that, that another thing that we need to be doing right now is writing to prisoners. Yes. I read that in your book. I like, how do you even get to know prisoners and and are you visit you regularly visit the jails with with your kids even right yes but let me tell you what not right now because all prisons are unlocked that's right I heard that on ear hustle all of those crafts that your children are doing you know like pictures um work with your your local churches will have prison ministries yeah there are brothers and sisters in Christ this is Hebrews 13 3 and 
they can't get out right now. And can you imagine both how scary it is, but also how much ministry they have? Do you know how much ministry incarcerated Christians have? Yeah. It makes me look like a slob. Yeah. Okay. So, so send those pictures there because you've got to remember that COVID-19 is not going to overcome the world, right? First John 5, 4, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So get those little kids to draw some things for prisoners and, you know, it will it will bring great joy and encouragement. Amen and amen. I'm excited to do that and even just to press into what you've talked about just in relation to the beautiful time that we have to share the gospel as a result of this hardship. So thanks for that encouragement, Rosaria. Absolutely. No, but my three simple joys, uh, children of any age, uh, hiking, preferably with dogs, uh, and knitting. Oh, I know not how to knit, but there is some wonderful hiking here in New England. So <laughs> is the therapy really? that we can afford. Okay. We can't afford therapy. We can't even get a haircut right now. <laughs> like, oh, knitting, knitting is how you get through those. You know. Oh, that's wonderful. There are a lot of people who knit here in New England and I'm realizing it's because you can use the things that you knit so much more than you could where I came from, which is the Texas area. Yes, it's definitely <laughs> true. Definitely true. Oh, that's so great. Well, I might have to get someone to disciple me in the ways of knitting once COVID-19 passes. Yes, that, no, that's called YouTube. <laughs> oh, there we go. There we go. This technology thing is just working out for all of us right now. <laughs> Oh, well, you know, it's so evident that obviously, you know, Ken has had such a great influence on your journey with Jesus. Kent, your husband now has had such a great influence on your journey with Jesus. I would love for you to kind of expound either upon one of those relationships or who it is that's had the greatest impact on your own journey with Jesus. Well, certainly the person who has the biggest impact on my walk with Jesus right now is my husband, Kent. I love it. He is the most faithful um, Christian I know. Um, and, you know, it's not it's not easy to be a pastor. It's not easy to be a pastor's wife. But one of the greatest things is I never have to worry about the integrity of the man behind the pulpit. Wow. And, and especially in this crisis, you know, he's especially good in a crisis. Um, so I would say he is the most significant person in my my current Christian life. Uh, it's powerful to be married to someone whose faith grows and grows and whose humility, you know, I mean, he is, he, pastors get kicked in the teeth. Mm -hmm. And I've seen him go through so much unkindness in the ministry. And I've learned more than anyone, learned from Kent more than I have from anyone the value of valuing local ministry over everything else. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and if you do have a public ministry, for whatever reason, you need to be the kind of person who uh, publicly repents, is willing to publicly wash the, a lot of stinky feet, you know, love your enemies, and also publicly forgive one another. And that's what it means to be a public person. Mm -hmm. So, and if it means anything more than that, that's then, then your notion of what it means to have a, a voice in this world is idolatrous and dangerous. Mm. Um, so it's been so good to, to just uh, learn from Kent and, and, and really be covered by Kent's prayers and, and his faithful love and care. Yeah. You know, if we had more time, I would love to hear more about how you guys 
you know, you have to be such a unified, um, you have to be one to do this, what you're doing, you know, you can't want to welcome someone in to stay in your house uh, without, you know, coming together on those decisions. What's been the most helpful thing for you guys in being unified? I mean, I, I just think, you know, sometimes we believe this lie that, we can't be unified unless we have all the time in the world to spend together and figure it out. And it doesn't seem like you guys have a lot of time over there welcoming 17 year olds (laughs) to live with you and be your child. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what the most important thing is that we do not equivocate on scripture. Kent is the head of this household and that is not a, an oppressive thing that is not a dangerous thing. But, you know, I went from someone who railed against patriarchy, like yeah. it was like it was, you know, the poison of the poison to someone who has come to understand that biblical patriarchy is necessary. And it's necessary because there are evil gangs of roving men out there who want to harm you. And we need the good ones to defend us. Uh Uh, And so I would say it is the fact that Kent's headship has always been, um, you know, unquestioned and and has been um, faithful. You know, it's not a headship that is in any way separated from Christ's, you know, call on his life. Um, But, you know, we are a team because um, we love the Lord, we love each other, and we uphold godly and biblical roles. We understand that being born male and female comes with ethical and moral responsibilities and constraints and blessings. And we don't kick against those. And when we do, we ask each other for forgiveness and for help. Well, I don't know if you have a next book on the agenda, but I'm just saying, I would love to read that one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's actually funny you mention it because that is the subject of the next one. Are you serious? No. Bless the Lord. Okay. Well, stay (laughs) tuned, everyone. We'll be sure to link to everything in the show notes so that you can learn more from Rosaria. Rosaria, thank you so much for your time today. Prayers for you and for Kent as you guys continue to love on your neighbors. Thank you for loving on us through this podcast. Thank you. Lord bless you. We pray this conversation with Rosaria helps you as you continue welcoming one another as Christ has welcomed us, even as we have to get creative while we're navigating the health crisis we currently find ourselves in. If you found this episode helpful, be sure to go back and listen to the other episodes in this series and share them with a friend. We'd also love to hear from you over on socials at Journey Women Podcast, and you can find all the details about every episode of Journey Women on our website, as well as helpful resources over at journeywomenpodcast.com. Today's episode was edited by Christine Brandt from christinebrandt.info. We are so grateful for her and for you. It's a joy to get to journey alongside you guys. Can't wait to see you here next Monday. Have a great week.